There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Hey everyone, it's Paige Harlock, Manager of Youth Programming and Partnerships at Canada's LGBT Plus Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. Hey Paige Harlock, are you here to celebrate Pride Month with us? Oh, you bet I am, Rick Spence. Entrepreneurs, get ready to tune in every Tuesday this month to celebrate Canada's LGBT Plus entrepreneurs. Through the month, we will speak to four inspiring LGBT plus entrepreneurs to tell us their stories, celebrate their contributions, and honor their experiences and accomplishments. A huge thank you to CGLCC for partnering with us on these shows. Stay tuned all month and look for a complete resource guide for LGBT plus entrepreneurs at www.startupcan.ca. And be sure to tune in wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday at 10 a.m. ET to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. On the show today, we're thrilled to have A.K. McKellar. A.K. McKellar is an entrepreneur, speaker, and the founder of Free to Move, the body-inclusive movement platform for the LGBTQ community. As a queer, non-binary, and chronically ill person, they felt like an outsider in most fitness spaces. AK aims to build a new type of fitness industry, one that is welcoming to beginners and marginalized people, and one that focuses on helping people feel good in their body and strong in their daily life. AK, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to have you here and uh, really excited to be chatting with you today. Um, we're going to start it off with a big question. What are the top pieces of advice you would want entrepreneurs to take away from this conversation we're having today? We're starting off with a big question. I like it a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say the top pieces of advice, especially to new entrepreneurs or people who are, you know, just starting out or struggling on their journey would be um, follow your curiosity. So whatever is, you know, sparking your curiosity, what is interesting you, what is exciting you, follow that because often people will respond to your energy around something, right? There's been times in my entrepreneurial journey where I'm trying to do what everybody else wants me to do or what everybody else is doing, thinking that following that script 
will result in something coming to fruition. But ultimately, if you're not curious, if you're not passionate, if you're not energized by that idea or concept, there is going to be a mismatch. Mm. Um, so following that curiosity. And then second to that, resilience. I mean, I think it's been said before by many people who have come before me, but um, being resilient, continuing when things are getting tough um, and really, you know, pushing through the tough times and the tough days because the good times will ultimately come as long as you're following your curiosity. Mm. And may I ask what kind of was, what sparked your curiosity when you were starting up? So I started developing an entrepreneurial bug, I would say, while well, I still worked at a corporate job. And I, I, I started reading books. I think that was initially what it was. And I would read these books about entrepreneurship or starting businesses and just think, just be in awe of these people and what they had done and what they had built and how it often started from an idea in their brains and turned into a multi-million or billion dollar company. And mm -hmm. that awe and that, wow, you can take it something that just exists in your brain and turn it into something so grand and so big. That is what really sparked it for me. AK, tell us about your entrepreneurial journey. How did you get started and why are you doing what you're doing? Okay, well, we'll go back to that corporate life that I just mentioned. Um, I would get up at 530 in the morning and work on my, you know, side hustle slash entrepreneurial business journey before going to work at 8am. I, what I thought I was going to do was build an athletic wear company. That's what I was working on at the time. And I was doing market research and, you know, trying to find manufacturers and um, trying to build this brand. About six months into that, I was in a biking accident. Um, I fell mountain biking when I was in Arizona. I developed a concussion uh, as a result of that fall. And initially, when I got back, I thought, okay, I'll, you know, be out of work or, you know, taking rest for a couple of weeks, and then I'll be back to my normal self. Well, you know, three or four months down the line, six months down the line, I ended up uh, quitting my corporate job because I couldn't uh, be in an office anymore. I had severe brain fog. Um, you know, my brain function was slowed. Mm -hmm. I couldn't be around busy spaces. I couldn't even leave the house for the first couple of months. Oh. Um, and that was really hard. You know, I had to put this passion project, this athletic wear journey on the side, I like, you know, put it to rest. I thought, well, that's done. I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't work at my, you know, corporate job anymore. Um, and ultimately, what I decided to do was channel what I was experiencing, which was living in a new body with a chronic illness, with this chronic condition that there was no cure, no real treatment for, a lot of question marks still around brains and concussions. Um, and channel that into something that I did know, which was fitness and training. I had always been an athlete and grew up and um, spent a lot of time in gyms and using that as a tool to help me manage stress and my health and my mental health. Mm -hmm. um, living in this new body, when I would try to push myself to go to the gym or do something more, I felt like my body would push back. Um, and I had to learn a whole new way of taking care of my body. Um, and I really translated that into fitness and then started a, a business as a personal trainer 
working predominantly with people who either had chronic conditions or didn't feel comfortable in gym spaces or for the queer community. Um, so that is what started it. And ultimately, then the pandemic happened. You couldn't do personal training. I was living in Toronto at the time. If you know anything about Toronto, it was pretty much lockdown central for mm-hmm. a year and a half, especially for gyms. Um, so I had to pivot to the online space. Right, right. Well, I mean, we'll talk about that. Can I just ask you, are you still um, experiencing a lot of these same symptoms today? They are. It's been just over three years since that accident happened. I still experience some of them and to a much less um, significant degree, but you know, I still have to manage, I still have to watch what I'm doing and really check in on my body and some of these signals that it sends me is saying you're doing too much. So I, you know, the, after the past three days, I've been having a flare up and not really uh, able to work and been myself. And so that's part of being, you know, in entrepreneurship for myself, you know, I don't necessarily think I could have a nine to five job still at this point. Right. And can I just ask, um, you know, what are the doctors saying? Are they saying uh, this will go away or do they have any clues at all? Most of them will tell you, you know, you need to push your symptoms a little bit. Like if you are evoking symptoms, that's okay. But ultimately they, you know, recommend some things you can do, but they're like, it takes time. And early on in that recovery, that is the most frustrating thing as a self-motivated, you know, I want to just feel better right now kind of person, you know, the, oh, it might take time. It's going to take months. It might take years. You just have to wait it out was like, that felt like the worst thing to possibly hear. And being in the fitness industry, you talked about um, being kind of chronically ill and being, um, part of the queer community, why do you think the fitness industry is a great space to explore the idea of community inclusion and wellness, specifically for queer, disabled, or chronically ill folks? I think because ultimately the fitness space is really based in exclusion Mm -hmm. um, and really being a space where if you don't fit a specific mold of thin, fit, able-bodied, you know, fit in within a gender, specific gender identity, Mm -hmm. you can't, you don't really fit in those spaces. And if you're someone who does fit in that way, you wouldn't notice at all, most likely. You'd be like, yeah, everyone can come here. I don't understand why um, someone might feel differently, but there is so much pressure to conform within fitness. And, you know, day-to-day realities is like, even just walking into a gym myself as a queer and non-binary and trans person, I wonder if I'm going to be, you know, mistreated there, or if I'm even going to be able to use the washroom in peace. So there's a lot of question marks that go into your brain. And it's like, I don't want to put myself in a space of being harmed another time. I can, that already happened. So why would I expose myself to that, you know, again? So that's something that I'm, I, I mean, I'm, looking at joining a new gym here in Vancouver. And I, and I think about that, that comes up for me. Now I'm a flabby straight person and I would, (laughs) I feel very on the, on the one occasion when I had to pick someone up at a gym, I felt very uncomfortable there. Would I feel more comfortable at free to move? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Only because I've built this space to be centered around the queer community and their experience. I think I'd still like it better, but I guess. (laughs) You would, yeah. But the thing I do want to touch on with inclusion is that you cannot build a space 
for everyone that holds every single person and every single part of their identity, right? Like imagine trying to fit everybody in the whole world into one space, right? Ultimately, what we want to do is build different containers for different people to feel really welcome, really seen, really held. I think that is what I try to, you know, invoke with Freedom Move and with inclusion is that we're not trying to build a space for everyone, but we're trying to build a space where people who have felt excluded um, in gyms because of their queer identity or because of their chronic illness or disability um, build a space where they feel really welcome and seen in our space. And and what's what's what sort of uh, space are you at al- along this journey? Are you are are you having as much business as you can handle? Are you still uh, trying to market it? What uh, what what do things look like? Um, definitely still trying to market, definitely still trying to grow. Um, the, the, the difficulty that we're experiencing now is that, well, the pandemic is ever changing our experience and pivoting, right? Mm-hmm. For a while we were doing online only everyone, right? Lockdown, you, you experience your friendship, your gym, your work within your living room and on one screen. Um, I think now that a lot of things are opening up and we have vaccines, that there is a need for people who want to engage in person, in real life, and a movement away from the screen. So we are doing our best to try to pivot and meet our members and our potential members um, where they're at by engaging in some live classes or outdoor live classes, um, in some outdoor experiences. And I think, honestly, it's, it's a constant pivot and it's a constant um, response to our audience, our members, our clients, what they want, what they need, and how we can deliver that. And you're talking a lot about pivoting and changing your programs. What does that program development process look like for you? What do you have to consider before launching a new program or series or initiative? Um, <laughs> a, lot. a lot of things, I assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I try to go back to following that my curiosity and my energy and what's getting me really excited um, as well as taking the temperature on what you know my audience or my members are needing right now and there's a balance that needs to happen between those two and the secondary thing is that when I'm launching something or um, you know about to put out a new program or new initiative I have to acknowledge that this isn't necessarily going to be inclusive for every single person in our community right? Mm-hmm. Not all chronically ill or not all disabled or not all people with chronic pain experience life the same way. And what works for one person won't work for another person. So there is really a balancing act in trying to meet the needs of members and do that sustainably. And mm-hmm. it honestly is really challenging. And it's something that I haven't quite figured out yet. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, being a queer cis white woman, I feel like my needs would be vastly different from somebody experiencing chronic, like, chronic illness or um, a person of color or anything like that. So I feel like creating a safe space for, for everyone is a constant juggle. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, have you noticed the, the needs of the community change from before the pandemic to after the pandemic? Or not even after, I guess we're still in it. <laughs> Coming somewhat close to the end. That's a good question. I think the, I don't think the needs have really shifted that much. I did do in-person classes before the pandemic. The need for a safe space and the need to feel seen and the need to have community and shared community 
mm-hmm. um, is really what drove me at the beginning and continues to drive me. And I think that is still going to be at the very base of it, what um, is needed and what I try to provide. And, and how do you gauge what the market wants? Do you have some feedback mechanisms that you devised and put in place? Or is it just a matter of listening to the loudest voices? <laughs> I mean, I put out a lot of surveys and research forms for my community to fill out. I look at the data on our online platform. What have people been watching? What have people been engaging with? And I look at the data on the social media. What are the videos that have been engaged with the most in the past um, you know, month or so and see and try to take the temperature in that way? I know the algorithm doesn't always provide, but um, I try to do my best in trying to take the temperature of people who are within our community, people who aren't here yet, people who are maybe haven't heard of us and might want to be in within it. I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering whether there's sort of, whether you're on kind of two tracks here. One is that mm. you can do the um, uh, in-person uh, programming with people, and yet there's probably a v- much vaster audience uh, potentially uh, online for lessons, for, for, for workouts, for recorded sessions. And, and are you trying to sort of move ahead vigorously in both ways or are you focusing on one or the other? Trying to move ahead the most with online and online community, but finding opportunities to base it in real life connection. So um, organizing meetups where there's a hub of people occurring. So I just put out a survey that did just that. I have trainers who work for me who live all over North America right now. So Victoria, Toronto, LA, um, myself in Vancouver, and seeing where, where are people. There's a little hub of members who live in Houston, uh, a little hub of members who live in Vermont, places where I didn't even um, realize that that was occurring. So finding opportunities that we can engage online and know that that is the space for the biggest growth. But what can have a really big impact is bringing those relationships um, offline when possible. And if folks were looking to engage online, how would they go about finding you um, and being a part of that community? Yeah, absolutely. I have a website. It's called befreetomove.ca. The information on free to move, the videos, the classes, everything is available on there as well as our values and um, what we try to bring to this space. I'm also on TikTok at AK McKellar and Instagram as well. Do you find kind of one platform to be more useful than others? I know a lot of folks are using TikTok. I am personally terrible at it. So I'm always curious (laughs) to know if it's (laughs) something that's like a better platform to use or what have you found? TikTok has been the biggest driver of our growth over the past um, year and a half since I've really been active on it. Um, That algorithm is incredibly specific um, and has brought so many new members, so many new opportunities for myself. And I really owe a lot of my business success to that platform. How have you monetized a a TikTok audience? Have I? Yeah, have you? Um, Well, yeah, I have converted um, a few hundred people into members via that uh, platform, as well as brands that find me on that platform and want to do collaborations or partnerships, which has been a really fun uh, experience for me as well. That's really cool. Can you share the names of any of these sponsor people? Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) If I I tell you, then everyone will know. Yeah. (laughs) 
So I wanted to switch gears a little bit now to your experience and insights as a queer founder. Um, we find that queer and LGBT plus are umbrella terms that don't really fully highlight the range of individual identities that there are. So I guess from your perspective and or experience, why is it vital for leaders in the business world to educate themselves on specific identities and intersections, like, for example, non-binary or gender fluid identities? The, the thing with, you know, bringing in diverse talent and perspectives is that it is really an asset ultimately to companies and like businesses, I think, to bring in people who have a different perspective and a different voice um, from themselves, right? So bringing those perspectives in can bring new problem solving um, and new ideas launch and expose you to a new market of people. Um, especially, I'm gonna just going to say Gen Z is, I think, maybe one of the queerest generations so far. So it's the best. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're, you're not only able to speak to these people, but a new market of people. Um, but also, like, it's important when, when bringing in those people and those voices to really respect and understand their identities, right? Mm -hmm. It has been my experience before that I'm brought in as, um, you know, talent or a brand partner and you know they've gotten my pronouns wrong repeatedly or or i don't feel seen in my identity and then that can be a really difficult and trying experience um for queer and trans people we we, we recently got some uh demographic information from statistics canada that for the first time actually asked people about gender identity and we found that one person out of 300 so sort of 0.33 percent uh identifies with, 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 with not being simply male or female. And that's, you know, frankly, a higher number than I've been led to expect. And what's really interesting is that the numbers are very different depending on age. So mm. Gen Z, our non-binary people are much more common in Gen Z than in boomers. And there is a, you know, growth. So, so, I think it's the first time we've ever seen real evidence that this is a growing market, that, but, but it's a growing experience that people really have to come to grip, that, 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 that people weren't, who weren't brought up in that, such as, say, any baby boomers that might be in this room, <laughs> have to start understanding <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, 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 and getting comfortable with because it, it, we're seeing more of it. And this is going to be a significant group of people who are going to demand their rights and they're going to have um, budgets to be able to get what they want. Exactly. I think that number, I did see those stats come out yesterday, and that number is something like 300,000 people in Canada identifying under this um, sort of gender identity or non-conforming gender identity umbrella, um, which is very cool to see, to put a number on that as a as a whole country and the fact that and and the fact that it's growing so if you want to sell to this market you don't sell to the the 60 year olds <laughs> you know who to market to exactly that's pretty exciting wondering just what if, if i can ask this what, what your experience as a non-binary individual had been prior to becoming an entrepreneur was that an issue in your job or in growing up i didn't come out as non-binary until um being in my entrepreneurial journey, but I did identify as a gender non-conforming woman, I guess. I might not even have 
called myself exactly that at the time, but um, didn't necessarily conform to the feminine look. Um, and in, in my experience in corporate, I felt very um, on the outside. I didn't come out at my first job as queer. I had a girlfriend at the time um, for a few years uh, for fear that there would be, you know, either very real and being able to see the repercussions or, you know, repercussions that weren't so obvious. Like, you know, you get passed over for a promotion or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I moved into a more corporate space, I used to work in urban planning and real estate development. Um, there are microaggressions and things yes, that happen as a daily occurrence that say, okay, you're allowed to be here, but we're not going to really celebrate you and who you are, what you experience. And I always felt that was really challenging and I didn't really know what to do with that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this is just how it has to be and I'll have to deal with this for my whole life. Moving into a, an entrepreneurial space, I feel a lot more able to celebrate my own identity and also have that impact when I am you know, hiring different people or one day hiring a whole team um, and be able to provide that thing that was not, a, was not there for me. Mm-hmm. And when you're kind of hiring different uh, folks for your company, um, how do you ensure that you're creating a, an inclusive culture or um, kind of creating that culture that you wish you had? It's a tough balance of wanting to bring in as many different voices and experiences as possible, as well as finding the right people that are the right fit for your company, right? I think that it's about developing relationships. That has been my experience so far. So um, really before I'm bringing someone in um, for a lot of these positions, especially when I'm hiring instructors and and movement leaders and people who run workshops, um, really getting to know them as a human being and seeing what are you all about? Because I think hiring just because someone is disabled or trans or has a certain skin color, that is leading to tokenism. And Mm -hmm. that as well is very problematic. There is a really difficult or not difficult, but challenging um, sort of place to balance between, you know, hiring the right people and hiring the diverse voices um, in a company. I'm really curious how your confidence as as a non-binary person and how your health have changed as a result of becoming an entrepreneur in this space. One of the reasons that I've been concentrating on entrepreneurship for the past 30 years is that it lets anybody pursue the life, the lifestyle the, 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 that, that they have, that they want. And I learned that from my brother, frankly, who opened a bookstore in Paris because entrepreneurship in Paris, France, because entrepreneurship allows you to do things like that, to to choose what you want to do and who you want to do it with. So I'm wondering, has that, has has that um, helped you, helped your self-confidence? Has it helped your health? Absolutely. I just, I had a thought the other day, the last three days when I was having a flare up, you know, I was thinking to myself, I feel sometimes frustrated with my body and my chronic illness that it sometimes makes me feel trapped in entrepreneurship and that I'm like, well, I don't have the option to go and do something else because if I have 
my condition flare up and have to take three or five days off of work, you know, um, what would that be like for even the most understanding company or boss to have a team member really be unable to work and unable to contribute for, for different lengths of time at basically the drop of a hat. Um, but at the same time, I am grateful for that. Um, you know, my chronic illness, I don't know if I would be doing what I'm doing right now had that bike accident and had that experience not happened to me. Um, so it's almost like this guiding, guiding, I don't know, a little box or something. I'm imagining like a train that I'm just on this rail being carried forward on my journey that feels a little bit terrifying because I feel like I can't get off. But at the same time, I'm grateful that I'm on it and I'm grateful that I'm moving forward. And it has allowed me to take time off, to rest when I need to, to come out as a non-binary and trans person and say, these are my pronouns, this is what you could use for me and stand in that power and stand in that confidence. So there really is like, you know, a struggle being an entrepreneur, definitely not easy, definitely a lot of tough days, but also um, I'm really grateful for the freedom in my identity and my life that it provides. And I, I mean, I agree with Rick and with you, AK, that there is a lot of freedom and wonderful things that come from entrepreneurship. Um, but I did want to note that there are some inherently gendered structures within the startup support ecosystem. For example, funding or mentorship programs that are specifically for women or very dated application system that require binary identification. Have you come across any of these barriers? And if so, how have you navigated it? Yes, I feel like I could talk on. <laughs> that for a little while but um it Go is ahead. very frustrating <laughs> it is so frustrating as a non-binary person to see these great opportunities and i'm so happy for women that they are getting those opportunities to be in funding spaces that are specifically tailored to them to have these opportunities that weren't that didn't exist maybe 20 years ago but as someone sitting where in my position i look around and i don't see anything like that for trans and non-binary people. I mean, trans people who would fall outside the binary. So it, it is, a, is a constant struggle saying, do I ignore or play down a part of my identity so I could be in this space, in this room and have this kind of support? Or you know, do I just have to sit and wait and hope that there will be an opportunity for me coming down the line? Um, because it feels very much that the inclusivity with non-binary folks in some of these applications are very few and far between. Mm -hmm. And for me, I would want to be included. And I know there's some non-binary folks who would say, I don't want to be included in that women's space um, because, you know, that is feeling problematic to me because I don't identify as, as a woman and you're treating me like I'm a woman light. Um, but for me, with, with where we're at today, I think the the inclusion would be beneficial, albeit not without some difficulties, because I have had that experience as well with being in those spaces and, and not feeling seen. Mm -hmm. And in this kind of space um, on your journey, what kind of supports are you looking for, either as a queer entrepreneur or someone who uh, identifies as non-binary? Um, oh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, startup incubators, funding opportunities, uh, all, all the whole gamut. I would love to see more of that support. Um, even just a queer entrepreneurship group or space um, that really 
you know, provide support for non-binary folks and trans folks specifically would be, would be incredible. And maybe that already exists and I'm just not aware of it, but um, if there is something out there and someone is listening to this, please send me a DM. I would love to know about it. Absolutely. Um, I've been a volunteer with Startup Canada now for, this is my 11th year. And uh, one of the things I've been proudest about this organization is that it has taken such great pains to make sure that everybody feels included. And I think it's been, the Startup Canada has been ahead of most institutions and certainly the government not for lack of trying, um, in, 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 in trying to make everyone feel welcome. The, the slogan at Startup Canada for many years was every entrepreneur. Um, if you have, the, I'm, I'm not sure where things stand now currently on of some of these uh, gender identities, but if you have some thoughts, if you want, want to, uh, you know, talk to anyone at Startup Canada more about this and help us get up to speed with what, what needs to be done, um, I think that'd be great because we've been leading this dialogue for a long time, but we can only lead it if we have lots of really good people supporting us and, and, and helping us uh, identify the needs out there. Yeah, absolutely. I would love that. We can definitely talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Just in terms of other people's businesses, because we've got lots of entrepreneurs um, listening to this podcast and they have lots of employees with lots of different needs. How can they best understand the needs of their non-binary staff and how can they best support them? I don't think there is much need to complicate this in that you need to ask them and ask them in a way where they can be fully honest and real with you as the you know founder or CEO or whoever is that person talking to them about what their needs are and what how they can best support them right they just like any identity like whether disabled person of color um, queer or non-binary we are not a monolith everybody has unique experiences and will want to be seen or supported in unique ways. Again, that doesn't mean that you need to do a million or a hundred things to support every individual, but really asking people, what can we do to make you feel seen and supported here um, is the best way forward to engage with these employees or potential employees um, that are coming into your company and that are going to add tremendous value to your company. Before we wrap up, I, I've, I've got to ask you um, the, the five years ahead question. <laughs> where, where do you see things going now for your business, Freedom Move Wellness? And what do you hope it'll look like? And you can pick the time frame: a year from now, two years from now, three, five, whatever. And will you ever get back into the athletic wear business? That is a great question. Um, I think in five years, what I would love to have and what I'm working hard to develop is to create a custom body inclusive movement app um, that is really driven by unique users' experiences and what their needs are. Uh, I don't think that a body positive or body inclusive fitness app really exists on the scale that I would love to see and then build that out into physical products. So um, anything from athletic wear to footwear to things that really um, address the needs of communities that often go 
uh, without because they're not seen as being big enough or a, a significant um, you know, slice of the market. But as we're seeing with that statistic that Ricky brought up earlier, you know, there's, there is 100,000 um, non-binary or out of the binary individuals in Canada right now, and that is a growing number. And those numbers exist for people with chronic conditions, for people with disability, all of these different marginalized voices that are so often forgotten, especially when we talk about business and especially when we talk about, um, you know, market. Uh, so that is where I see it going. That is what I'm trying to build. We're working on finding funding. We're working on pitching um, and working on growing our community. And if you could wave a magic wand to get one resource that you're missing, what would that resource be? Is it money or talent? Or? Um, <laughs> that is, that's, this might be the toughest question of all. Okay, I got to um, tell you, we don't really have a magic wand, so you don't have to think too hard. I would say, you know, invitations and connections to be in the right room. So be connecting with the right network of people who can provide money, who can provide um, mentorship, who can provide, you know, um, insight is what I would love. If I can wave, wave a magic wand and, and have that tomorrow, that's what I would want. That's fantastic. After all, we, we, we have to manifest what we want before we get it. <laughs> I love that you're into manifesting, Rick. <laughs> I'm learning a lot this month. Did you learn that on TikTok? Pardon me? Did you learn that on TikTok? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, just to, to wrap it up here, I just want to know what advice do you have for 2S LGBTQ plus individuals listening who want to start their own business? I think one that the world needs you. We need you to be starting all of the businesses, um, providing the services not only to our community, but to the greater, like, not community, but the whole world, really. You know, often I think queer individuals for good reason, we want to provide for our community, but I think there is a lot of opportunity for queer folks to start businesses and that they already have a lot of the tools um, to do that because many of us have needed to be resilient, to have to figure things out on our own, um, and that finding or developing relationships with other queer entrepreneurs or other queer business owners or other business owners in general mm -hmm. is going to be the number one thing that helps you keep going and helps you continue on, you know, your journey or your quest of building your business. So keep going, know that you're resilient and be reaching out, making connections with folks um, because that's what's going to help you when it gets really hard. Fantastic. Thank you. There, there's so much power in representation. So, I mean, thank you so much for being here today, AK. So appreciate you taking the time to chat about your journey um, and speak about your, your business, Freedom Move Wellness. Um, I think creating safe spaces in the fitness world is something that is definitely needed. Uh, so thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a fun conversation. <laughs> Thanks, AK. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank.
Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence. <laughs>